This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be looking tonight at verses 16 through 29. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 16 through 29. Hear the word of God. Paul says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys... In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? Let's pray. Lord God, as we study this portion of your word, we give thanks to you for it. and pray that you would instruct us. Lord, we thank you for Paul. Thank you for his indulging in this bit of foolishness, for the glimpse that it gives us of his heart for you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says this, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, which is it? Do you not answer the fool according to his folly, or do you answer the fool according to his folly? 
Well, it depends. Some situations it might be well to do the one, in some situations it might be well to do the other, and in fact we may want to do both. Many times we don't want to answer someone according to his folly. We want to give him a straight answer. We want to refute him. But there are other times when it may be helpful, for the sake of argument, to uh, accept his premise and then show him the foolishness of it. For example, uh, some of you heard Paul Copan, uh, who took this one up. Uh, Someone might say something to the effect of, well, you know, we, we simply have evolved. We're creatures that have just developed and evolved and are evolving. And we're basically just the sum of our biochemistry. What do you do with something like that? Well, you may not want to answer it according to its own folly. You say, no, we're made in the image of God. We are rational creatures. We make real moral choices. We're not just the product of our biochemistry and our nerve system. Well, that would be one way to do it, just to counter it, to say, no, that's not correct. Here is the truth. But there may be times when it would be appropriate to answer that according to its own folly. For example, you might say to someone, well, if that's true, if we are just the sum of our biochemistry, then that's just your biochemistry talking, and why should I listen to you? Why should my biochemistry listen to your biochemistry? Uh, Besides, if it is true that we're just the sum of our biochemistry, then how have you somehow risen above that? How have you transcended that to be able to see the big picture and announce such a thing? Again, it's just your biochemistry talking. Why should I listen to you? That's answering a fool according to his folly. Uh, In fact, uh, Richard Pratt, when I was in seminary, we went through a book he wrote. uh, And those two verses in Proverbs were basically the structure of an apologetic method of not answering or answering a fool according to his folly, either countering foolishness with truth or adopting the foolishness and showing the folly of it. Well, that's exactly what Paul has been doing in this second letter to the Corinthians. For most of the letter, he has not been answering them according to their folly. Instead, he has been countering these views that are prevailing in the church, or at least gaining inroads because of these false teachers, these false apostles who have come along. But now, here in chapter 11, Paul uh, begins to answer them a little bit according to their folly. In effect, he says, fine, you want boasting? I'll give you boasting. And so what we have here is the record of that. Paul answering them according to his folly. Paul taking up the position of the false apostles, characterized by their uh, pride in themselves and their boasting of themselves, and becomes like them in order to show that even their they fall short. Well, as we look at this passage, we can really divide it up into two parts. First of all, the boaster himself, Paul, and then second uh, part being his boasting, the things that he does say. Well, let's look first of all at the boaster, uh, Paul the boaster. And what we're struck here by is a couple of things. One, uh, in these verses, uh, verses 16 through 21, is Paul's own reluctance to engage in this boasting. He does it not for himself, not because he's uh, building up his own ego, but he does it in order to try to win a hearing, in order to try to improve his standing with the Corinthians, not for his own ego, but for the sake of the gospel. He comes back and says, fine, if if you want to listen to boasters, I will boast, if that's what it takes to... uh, 
to get you to listen to me. But Paul's not doing this for any need of his own. He's doing this for them and for the gospel in their midst. But it was struck by his reluctance. Look at verses 16 through 18. Paul says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. Uh, now, he's referring to what he's been saying earlier, um, 11, chapter 1, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, rather. I wish, he says, you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Uh, verse 7, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? Uh, well, then he, he goes on and verse 10 talks about his boasting. Uh, in the things that he did, and not boasting outside his own realm, but, but truly speaking of the things that God did through him. And so that's why in 16 he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, even if you do rather accept me as a fool, uh, if you do think I'm foolish, well then take me on those terms as a fool, think me foolish, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. So Paul keeps emphasizing his foolishness. And when he says not with the Lord's authority, it's not as though he's somehow calling into question the inspiration. You know, we should look, well, Paul didn't say this by the Lord's authority, so this part's not inspired. Uh, That's, of course, not what he's talking about. He's not talking about inspiration. And this is as inspired and authoritative in that sense as any other part of Scripture. But what Paul is taking up here is saying that the Lord himself does not endorse boasting in oneself. Paul said if somebody's going to boast, let him boast in the Lord. Let him boast in the cross. But Paul says, you know, this is, I'm not speaking with the Lord's authority in, in bragging about myself. That's not a Christ-like behavior. But for your sake and for the sake of the gospel, I will do it. Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, not the spirit not the Lord, but according to the flesh, then I too will boast. That's why Paul sees this as foolishness. He's acting in a basically non-Christian, un-Christ-like way, uh, in drawing attention to himself, in trying to build himself up in their eyes. So it's kind of a strange position Paul has put himself in, but you'll notice the reluctance, the qualifiers, uh, the awkwardness, because Paul is not accustomed to speaking of himself in this way, and certainly not in trying to improve his image uh, with someone. And again, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the gospel. So when, he, when we look at the boaster, Paul himself here was struck by his reluctance to engage in this behavior, but he does it not for himself, but for the gospel. But we're also struck by his amazement at the Corinthians' tolerance for those who do come and boast and build themselves up at the Corinthians' expense. Look at verse 19. Paul says in verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. Dripping with sarcasm there. Uh, since you are so wise, well, how, how you put up with fools. So I'll be one too. But look at the kind of behavior he describes. Verse 20, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. Apparently those were the kinds of things that were going on with these false apostles. And Paul's amazed at how they tolerate this, that they made slaves of them. Uh, either slaves in the sense that Paul is saying they, the false apostles had made them slaves again to the, the Jewish law, 
or maybe even saying he, that they had made the Corinthian believers slaves to themselves, to the false apostles. Uh, but Paul refers to them here, making slaves of them. He refers to them devouring them. The super apostles apparently were living on them like parasites, growing fat at their expense and devouring them. Remember Paul's uh, emphasis on his not accepting any support from the church in Corinth at all. And he would not remove his being able to say that. Uh, he didn't want them to support him. He didn't want to be liable to any misunderstandings or any charges brought against them. In fact, those charges were brought that Paul was the one using the Corinthians. But Paul refers to these false apostles as devouring them. And uh, that kind of echoes uh, Jesus' teaching in Mark 12, where he denounces the scribes who devour widows' houses. Making slaves of the Corinthians uh, one way or another, devouring them, using them, living off of them. Paul says they took advantage of them, using the Corinthians for their own purposes. The Corinthian believers had become their dupes. Uh, Interesting, Paul says... uh, uh, describes them as putting on airs, uh, using the Corinthians for their own self-exaltation uh, before the Corinthian believers. The church, they're providing these false apostles a stage on which to uh, exalt themselves. And then interestingly, Paul says, uh, you know, you put up with it, you bear with it. If someone strikes you in the face... Uh, now, maybe that's metaphorical. Maybe he's referring there to insults and abusive words, perhaps, from these false teachers to the Corinthian believers. But it's quite possible that they could be literal, uh, uh, physical assaults. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for those who held positions of ecclesiastical authority uh, to either strike themselves or to cause to be struck uh, on the mouth those whom they considered to be saying things that were... Uh, that were wrong, that were uh, blasphemous or impious. Uh, you recall that the high priest Ananias commanded Paul to be struck in the book of Acts, Acts 23. Uh, and in fact, when Paul lays out the, uh, the qualifications for an elder, an overseer in First Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, he says that such a man should not be, as the King James puts it, should not be a striker, uh, someone who doesn't lash out physically, uh, hit someone or something, uh, perhaps, in his anger. And so Paul is describing this kind of behavior, this, this really abusive uh, behavior of, of lording it over the Corinthian believers. And Paul is amazed. He says, you bear with this. You put up with this. You tolerate this kind of thing. Uh, Philip Edgecombe Hughes, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, says, As we look back over 19 centuries, as he was writing this, of the history of the Christian church, we cannot help being struck by the manner in which, for most of the time, so many of its adherents seem to have been content, lamely, to tolerate the impositions and extortions of ecclesiastical despots whose lives are a contradiction of the meekness and gentleness of Christ, and whose concern has been less for the souls of the perishing than for the buttressing of their own reputation in the eyes of the world. The Reformation of the 16th century was a breaking away from this dark spirit of tyranny and the recovery through returning to the pure doctrine of the New Testament of that liberty in the gospel, which is the birthright of every Christian man. Unfortunately, that did not end with the Reformation uh, throughout the world. There are ecclesiastical despots 
in churches, both Roman Catholic and Protestant, who uh, lured their position and influence over the flock and used the flock for their own gain. Uh, that's certainly not uh, something that ended with the Reformation of the 16th century. Um, it's amazing that Christians will put up with what they do. We are sheep, but we are not to be sheep in the sense of bearing with tyrannical leaders, self-serving leaders in the church. And Paul says in verse 21, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Yes, if you wanted someone who's just going to slap you around, uh, yeah, we were too weak for that. We wouldn't do that. We didn't do that. If that's what you want, then no, I'm not your man. We were too weak. And of course, Paul is again speaking here with sarcasm. So Paul, the boaster, one, expresses, you just sense the reluctance, the awkwardness he feels in boasting of himself in this way. But at the same time, there's astonishment that they bear with the kind of behavior in these false teachers that they put up with. And Paul says, no, uh, if that's what you're looking for, we certainly were not like that when we were among you, as you yourselves know. Well, then let's spend a few minutes looking at Paul's boasting. And this picks up in uh, the second half of verse 21. And uh, again, Paul qualifies this a couple of times, uh, the kind of things that he's saying. Whatever else, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, remember, he says. Uh, I'm playing a role here. I also dare to boast of that. And he launches, first of all, into his Jewish pedigree. Uh, in these next couple of verses, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Uh, if you know your New Testament, that may sound familiar to you. It is very similar to the kinds of things Paul wrote in uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, where he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. This is Philippians 3, 5. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now here, he's saying those things for a different reason. He's saying if anyone has reason to put confidence in himself before God, then certainly I, Paul, have reason, as much reason and more, and goes through these qualifications and then you know, makes that famous statement, uh, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, Jesus my Lord. Um, and then again he says in verse 8, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So, Again, citing his qualifications, so to speak, there for a different reason. Say all of those things that were gained to him are now lost compared to knowing Christ. And especially insofar as they kept him from knowing Christ because of his pride in his own attainments and in his own ethnic identity. Well, he brings that up here, but for a different reason. Here he's pointing out that if these false apostles were somehow, and apparently they were, taking pride in their Jewishness, Maybe questioning Paul, who was born in Tarsus uh, rather than Jerusalem. Well, Paul says, look, my Jewish credentials are sterling, second to none. Uh, and he, he lists them there. Uh, Hebrew, the Hebrews, Israelite, offspring of Abraham, so am I. Well, then he goes on from his Jewish pedigree to his service for Christ. And uh, makes this wonderful statement 
in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? And his answer seems to imply that they are. Paul is admitting that for the sake of argument, although Paul has already called them false apostles, uh, agents of Satan, like Satan disguising themselves as, as, uh, as angels of uh, light. Um, so Paul has already said what he thinks these people are, uh, servants of the devil. However, uh, he says, fine, if we're going to say that they are servants of Christ, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. <laughs> you imagine Paul saying, well, they think there's something I'm better. I'm a better servant of Christ than they are. What an unpauline-like thing to say. And that's why Paul says, I sound like I'm a raving fool out of my mind. Why would I say something like that? And yet, again, he's making his case with the Corinthians. He's answering the fool according to his folly. Talking like a madman. Well, let's look at the things that he says here as a servant of Christ and a better one than these false apostles. With far greater labors, uh, it's quite conceivable that no one in the history of the Christian church has been more unflagging in his zeal for the gospel and his toil for the kingdom. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments. Interesting that that's one of the First things that Paul mentions in his service to Christ, which probably is meant to authenticate the reality of his service to Christ. Uh, Someone who's willing to go to prison for Jesus is serious. They're not just a pretender, but willing to endure. Uh, In fact, the book of Acts records several imprisonments. Uh, We think of uh, his being imprisoned in Philippi uh, when they were there in the prison singing hymns at midnight. Uh, it records imprisonment in Jerusalem. It, inco- it re- Acts records imprisonment in Caesarea. Uh, at the end of the book, Acts 28, he's imprisoned uh, under house arrest, basically, in Rome. Well, it's worth noting that as of the time Paul wrote Second Corinthians, only the first one had taken place, Philippi. And yet Paul speaks of his imprisonments. Uh, there were certainly uh, other imprisonments that took place that are not recorded in the book of Acts uh, because at this point only one of those in the book of Acts had taken place and Paul, yeah, Paul refers to more than one so his imprisonments uh, he goes on then to mention beatings with countless beatings uh, Acts 16 verse 22 in Philippi speaks of him being uh, beaten uh, and he says and often near death uh, Several times uh, there was a plot to kill Paul in Damascus right after his conversion when he first started preaching Christ where he was let down in the basket outside the wall. And there were other plots against Paul where he escaped death. Uh, He refers to, uh, in verse 24, five times, receiving at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. The reference there is to Deuteronomy 25, which um, specified there that they were to... um, that if someone was beaten, it was, they were to receive no more than 40 lashes. And so the Jews, with typical external uh, scruples about the law, made it 40 minus 1. They would subtract 1, make it 39 in case they miscounted and they would not exceed the law. And so Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the, the 40 lashes minus 1. Typically took place uh, in the synagogue when those things were done. Uh, verse 25, uh, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Now, interesting, in Acts 16, before his imprisonment, uh, in Acts 16, verse 22, Paul speaks of being beaten with rods, uh, with, with the rod. And then later in his letter, uh, we know it's 1 Thessalonians, he says in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The shamefully treated may have referred to being beaten with rods, which Paul, as a Roman citizen, would have been exempt from, and yet it happened anyway. That may be what he's referring to as this shameful treatment that he was beaten when legally his legal uh, citizenship should have prevented that from happening. Uh, Paul says in verse 25, once I was stoned uh, in the town of Lystra in Acts chapter 14. Paul refers to um, suffering that painful form of execution. And that's what it was. To be stoned wasn't just a punishment. It was a measure of execution. Uh, And that's uh, demonstrated in, in that chapter, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They thought they'd executed him. Uh, another near-death experience for Paul, to be sure. Very <laughs> painfully close to, uh, to death. They thought he was dead or dying, and they hauled him out. Uh, but he wasn't dead, and uh, the Lord protected him, and he was able to get up and keep going. Paul refers in verse 25 to three times being shipwrecked. And a night and a day I was adrift at sea. Uh, well, in the book of Acts, we, we read there only of one shipwreck, the one that occurs near the end of the book where they uh, went ashore on Malta. But Paul refers to three times being shipwrecked. We do know if you go through Acts, you can count up at least nine voyages uh, on which Paul was a passenger and in, in any of those uh, could have experienced Shipwreck and being adrift at sea in one way or another. And then he goes on with a, with a list that really are hard to pinpoint, but he describes as he thinks back over his service to Christ. Uh, on frequent journeys, a lot of traveling, you all who travel a lot know how wearying that can be even in our day, uh, let alone when uh, travel was the way it was in Paul's day. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, uh, constant Threat for those who are traveling, danger from my own people and from Gentiles, Jew and Gentile alike, uh, danger in the city, and we've read about those in the book of Acts, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Uh, perhaps for Paul, maybe the most feared and most painful at all of all, because while the others were threats to Paul, false brothers were threat to his ministry, a threat to this to his work, including the church in Corinth. Um, these 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 false apostles who came in and undermined his ministry and seek to rob believers of their liberty in Christ. And he goes on, verse twenty-seven, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, sleepless either because of his labors or sleepless because of anxiety over cares that he carried. He refers to those. In hunger and thirst, often without food, perhaps a reference on the one hand to not having food to eat, and on the other hand, maybe to particular instances of fasting, of going without food. Um, In cold and exposure. Uh, And then he says, uh, so he's referred to his service for Christ, and then he refers, having referred to his pedigree, having referred to his service, which is better than the false apostles, 
Uh, he refers to his own pastoral burdens. Uh, verse 28, apart from uh, these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Uh, church, oh, who are all the churches? Well, churches Paul himself had planted, obviously, but other churches that he wrote to, cared about, prayed for, was concerned for, anticipated news from. Think of Romans, uh, a church Paul himself did not start, but certainly one that he cared for and uh, felt some obligation to. Uh, and so Paul says, on top of all of these other things, there's this anxiety, this burden I feel for the churches. And he goes on to say, not only of the churches, but his personal identification with them. Who is weak, and I am not weak. You see, Paul wasn't some detached, uh, uncaring administrator of the churches. He, his heart was in it. He, he went up as they went up. He was down as they were down. He truly cared about them, and, and his, his, his well-being was in many ways riding on their own. And Paul says, who's made to fall? And I'm not indignant. Or another way might be, who, is, who, who would lead someone astray? And I'm not indignant. Literally, and I do not burn. Uh, same word uh, he refers to in, in, in 1 Corinthians 7. He says it's better to marry than to burn. And there the meaning is fairly clear. Uh, to burn with desire. To burn with passion. Uh, well, here Paul says, who's made to fall or who's led astray? And I do not burn. Uh, I'm not angry or indignant when someone comes in and leads those I care for to fall or leads them astray. So Paul is expressing here his own heart, his own connection with the churches. He's not impartial. He's not uncaring. He's not detached. His heart is very much with these churches. And as they go up, he goes up. As they go down, he goes down. And so these are the things that Paul has said as he's, as he's boasting of his own pedigree of the Service to Christ, which is proved, interestingly, primarily through hardship, through suffering, although certainly through hard work as well, but also the reality of his, his concern for these churches, uh, including the church in Corinth. And so those are the, the, the standards that Paul sets out to demonstrate his superiority to these false teachers. Now, Paul goes on. Uh, as the verse says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. But I think those verses really tie in with chapter 12. And so, uh, Lord willing, we'll look at that together next time. But as we leave this passage, I want to leave you with just a couple thoughts. First of all, I must say, reading and studying this passage, uh, I'm very convicted of my own uh, service and my own behavior. I think Paul gives here a very strong example to elders uh, of diligence in serving Christ. Uh, any call to be a shepherd in the church is not a call to glory. It's a call to service. It's a call to hard work. It's a, car, a call to heartbreak. It is a call uh, to self-sacrifice. And it is a call to hard work, perhaps even suffering, uh, and uh, sleepless nights and the kinds of things that Paul describes here. But there's also here, I think, an instruction and an example not only to those who are in a position of shepherding the flock or elders, but also to churches uh, as a pattern for what you are to look for and expect in those who have care for your souls, uh, both positively and negatively. On the one hand, negatively rejecting anyone who, uh, who uses you, uh, who sees you as a means to his own gain. 
uh, but rather positively an example for the kinds of leaders that you should uh, look for and expect uh, to serve as elders, to serve as shepherds of the flock. As Paul said, I'm astounded, I'm amazed you know, that you gladly bear with it. If someone makes slaves of you, they use you, take advantage of you. Uh, that's not the pattern. But Paul sets forth here uh, in his boasting, and we're glad that he acted like a madman and boasted because of the biographical information it gives us about Paul, but also because of the pattern that it gives us for what faithful ministry uh, should look like. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you thanks for these words of Paul. Thank you for him and the service that he rendered to the church and has rendered to us through his words recorded in the New Testament by your Spirit. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for the elders of this church uh, that our lives would resemble, resemble Paul in terms of his humility and his willingness to give of himself and his genuine care for those uh, of whom he had oversight. And Father, I pray for this church and for your church that we would be wise in those whom we call to serve over us. And Lord, while certainly being sheep in your flock, uh, not being sheep when it comes to putting up with ungodly and unchristlike behavior in the leadership of your church. But Father, give us faithful leaders, faithful elders, men like Paul, men like Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.